Good evening. It's good to see everybody here tonight. Continue our series on guiding principles. It's good to see everybody here tonight as we begin our, our class tonight. Let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we are so grateful. So grateful to be your children. So grateful to be able to come to, together as a family, to open your word, to study it, to learn what you would have us to do and to be. Father, I pray that the things that we study tonight will be true to your word, that there will be things that will be uplifting and encouraging and advantageous to the lives that we live in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, this is lesson four, I think. That's what it said on the slide when I pulled it up. So I'm assuming this is lesson four. Um, we're going to talk tonight about worship and uh, the perspective that this eldership takes and how we look at worship uh, for this congregation and what we expect and what we what we desire and what we strive for. Um, but before we before we actually get into that, we're going to sing sing a verse. You knew you were going to have to sing with me up here, right? We're going to have to sing a verse of a song that you all know uh, to get us kind of queued up for what we're going to be talking about tonight. Okay, so join me. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, worship the King all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love. So we're going to talk about tonight is what is that all about? What does it mean to worship? What are we trying to do as a family when we come together to worship? So here's a few things to, to keep in mind as we get started. The, the vision that we have is for this congregation to be Christ-centered, to be Spirit-led, to be Bible-based, focused on what God's will says to us is a group of Christians trying to reach the lost and encouraging transformational spiritual growth among our members. Transformational growth. Growth that changes us from one something to another. It's the whole um, idea behind what we're trying to do together. Uh, we want to be a congregation of people known as people of the Word. We would, would like for everyone to take on that challenge and take on that role of being an evangelist, touching every ministry that we're a part of, regardless of what that ministry is, whatever, whatever that role it plays in this congregation, but to be one that can continue to share the gospel with those that that particular ministry touches. This congregation knows and demonstrates the power of prayer. I hope you're already aware of that and feel that uh, as, as a member here and we spend time in prayer, and I know your elders spend quite a bit of time in prayer when we get together as a group. Um, a congregation enthusiastic about God's work. It's not something we do because we feel like it's a checkbox, but it's something that we love to do, and we're enthusiastic about it. We take a, a joyful heart about the work of, of the Lord uh, that we each do each day. Um, this congregation, we, we hope, is, is easily distinguished from the cultures of this world. We're not trying to blend in with the, what the culture is in this country or any other country. But this, this 
the vision of this congregation is one that follows the truth in God's word, whether it's bound or closely aligned with culture or not. The culture part is irrelevant. The first thing that we're called to do is to live as God's children and not to live as a particular culture. And then the last thing on this list here is that we have a, a worship as a congregation that is characterized by reverence, praise, and remembrance. Uh, we will be talking about these three in various aspects as we go through tonight. I'll try to keep an eye on my watch. I don't know if this is going to take me 15 minutes or an hour and a half, so we'll see. Um, but I will tell you that this is a study that could take many, many weeks. We could spend a whole quarter talking about worship, what God demands of us as worship, what worship is, uh, what it looks like, what it feels like, examples from the Old Testament, examples from the New Testament, what we see in the early church, whether it's written in Scripture or from traditions and, and other writings we've seen. We're going to compile all that into a very quick summary and oversight uh, overview tonight as we look at uh, worship. So if we go back and we look in the, in the Old Testament, it's pretty obvious that God has always wanted His children to worship Him, to give Him honor, to give Him praise. We go back and we look at Cain and Abel. One of the very first things we learn about the sons of the originals, Adam and Eve's sons, is that they brought sacrifices to God. Now, before we see the, the scripture that tells us that, there's nothing specifically that says God told them to do this. But they brought sacrifices to God to show him what they felt about him. They're placing their honor on, uh, in front of God. You also know the story of, of Abraham. And you know, I walked up here and got all started. I didn't even bring my notes with me. So my memory's not that good. So, detour. Well, I get Abraham, when he was called by God, one of the very one of the early stories of Abraham. And now I'm gonna be real careful here, don't I? One of the story, earliest stories that we get from Abraham is how he actually was presented to Melchizedek, who was a priest of the of the Most High God, which is about all we know about Melchizedek. And he gave him a tenth of everything, but he honored God and worshipped through that priest, uh, Melchizedek. And we have other examples of, of Abraham in worship. In fact, taking his own son Isaac up on the mountain was an act of worship to God. And we know the story of what happened there, that ultimately didn't have to sacrifice his own son, but God provided something else. There's countless chapters describing the tabernacle, and then the, ultimately the building of the temple. And if you've, if you've gone through and studied the old, the old law there about how those are to be built, there's very meticulous detail about those dedicated buildings that God wanted built so that people could come to a place as a group to show their praise and honor and glory to the God Most High. It wasn't just a passing fancy of, hey, build me something and then come in. It was very meticulous about how he wanted that temple built and then very meticulous about how it's supposed to be used as well. So from the very beginning, uh, that God has, has wanted his people to, to worship him to, and to give him the, the honor and glory. Now, when we talk about that, what are we talking about? I am not a Hebrew scholar, but 
This word here that looks like shaka, but apparently it's pronounced sheshwa. All the Hebrew scholars out there can correct me later. Something like that is the word that we use, that we see in the Old Testament. Just about any time we see the word worship in the Old Testament, and it means to depress, to prostrate, to bow down, to, uh, to kneel before is what the word worship means in the Old Testament. Now, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, this, this is actually chapter 7, we'll get to that in a second. First chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, you have the story of, of uh, the priests there that it says they actually came to, when, they, when it says they came to worship, it uses this word, and they presented the worship before the people. It was this word, sheshwa, which means to pre- depress or, or to prostrate or to look towards to lie down. Later on in 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, put away foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the land of the Philistines. Now this isn't the word that's used to worship, but I bring this up just to, to get us to start thinking what it really entails when we start talking about worship. Direct your heart to the Lord and your service to Him and Him only. And we'll find as we go through this that that's a very key part of what is expected of us. So acceptable Christian worship. It is defined in the New Testament Scriptures. And we're going to look at, at, at what some of those things are. And, and we'll, again, it's an overview tonight, a summary, so we'll touch on it. But there's basically three different words that are used in the New Testament. And they have slightly different meanings depending on the scripture you're reading. So John chapter 4, you remember John chapter 4 is uh, Jesus and the woman at the well, right? You remember the story uh, where Jesus is thirsty, asks the woman for water, and they get into this long, protracted conversation. And it's interesting because every time Jesus answers, the woman changes the subject and moves on to something different. Um, But in John chapter chapter 4, verse 20... The woman asked Jesus, again, she's changed the subject because he's just said, you've had actually several husbands and the guy you live with now is not your husband. So she decides she didn't like that subject. So instead she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship in the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. This particular section, the word worship actually means to, to kiss or to fawn to, to, to show very personal, uh, personal attention to. One of the, one of the choices of that's translated scripture. Now over in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, where it talks very specifically that you don't worship me you know, properly. And the word there is really talking about honoring, giving honor to, which is a little bit different turn on it. And then we go over to Acts chapter 24, um, and where it talks about worship. And that particular is really talking about, and that one actually needs a little context too. But it's a little bit different word, a little bit different meaning. 
But in essence, again, it, it kind of rounds out the whole definition of worship in this context, in, in, as we study what it is. It says, I confess to you that according to the way, yeah, according to the way, which, is, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Okay, and so this is, this is Paul actually talking. And he, and he says, I worship. And what he really says when he's talking to the, to the rulers here is he's saying, I minister to and I serve this God. Okay, it's not, it's not the, the formal, very personal kissing or fawning down to. It is, I, I minister to and I serve. All of these words are used to describe worship. And they're all, uh, they're all a, a very active part of what it means to worship. So, when we start looking and trying to figure out what does worship mean in the context of us, we're going to look at, at Hebrews chapter 9, because it really juxtapo juxtaposes Old Testament worship with New Testament uh, worship. So, starting in verse 1 in, in Hebrews chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place for holiness, of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. Okay, I mentioned earlier when you talk about the, the temple of the tabernacle, it was very specific in what it was, how it was supposed to be built. It's also, as you're starting to see, as you're reminded here, this is just a shell of what the Old Testament tells the Levites that they must do in the, in, the in the tabernacle and the temple. But you start to get the idea there's a whole lot of very specific details that are expected of the people when they, and the priests specifically when they go in. Only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but, only, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. There's a lot of things in here we could pull out and, and talk about. There's a couple of things I just want, want you to, to make note of as we go on because we're about, to, we're about to turn the corner and look and see how this equates to the New Testament. When he talks about, um, by this the Holy Spirit indicates the way it is not yet opened until the, as long as the first section is still standing. This is a reference, a reference to the old versus the new. This is where we start getting the idea that there's an, an old that changes to the new and goes on to say, which it's symbolic for the present age. When this, initial, when this first section is opened up, things change as you go into the second section. But you'll notice there's all kinds of things that are expected, food, drink, washings, regulations, etc., that are required of worship. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, 
Then through the greater and more perfect tent, reference back to the, to the tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? <clears throat> so there's some fundamental differences, aren't there, between the old and the new. A lot of, of uh, in the Old Testament, we we look at various things that are very specific to physical things that must be done, physical things that must be carried out. The focus is on some of those things. And, and as it says, it doesn't really cure the conscience of the worshiper. It has, it has nothing to do with that. This is about following the commands that God has laid out for the, for those, uh, for the Jewish people to worship. But now that Christ has come, there's a more perfect tent for a single person to enter those most holy places, Christ has entered there for all. And so now as priests, we are now able to uh, enter into uh, the, 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 the holy place with God and worship him on, on an individual basis, which was something the Jews really couldn't do, as you recall. They, they brought their, their sacrifices and the priests did all the work for them. They had to bring something to give, but the priests really did most of the work. From what we read here, that really has changed now. And we, go, we keep reading in, in Hebrews in chapter 10, when Christ had offered for, the, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That is, those believers those of us in this room and, and others around the world who are believers in Jesus. For by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness for these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Okay, so things have changed from the Old Testament to the New. And, and so now what we're going to do is, is look and see how he continues and says, as, with all that in your backdrop, you've got the Old and you've got the New that Jesus' blood has given you. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, okay, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is some, but encouraging one another and all the more as 
you see the day drawing near. Now this is a section of scripture, actually Wes brought a lesson to us for, was it four weeks ago, five weeks ago, something like that, Wes? Um, focusing on verse 25 to a, to a great degree. But if you look at this in this, this bigger context of, of worship, where, where the Old Testament was, where God was asking the people what they were, or telling the people how to worship in, in the old day, versus the new, there's some things that we can pick out of here that, said, that tells us what is expected of us when we worship. And those are those things here that are actually underlined. And to make it easier to see, what I call the starting point for the New Testament worshiper are these things. Number one, because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we are confident to enter the holy places. We draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With clean hearts, our bodies are washed, cleansed with pure water, not just at the point of immersion, but cleansed on a daily basis for those who are calling after the Lord and doing His will, following in His ways. We hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold fast, not... It's that term that means you're grabbing it so hard you can't let go. And I know I am guilty, I'll use this analogy, but I'm guilty of kind of giggling when I'm driving by someone and I see one someone with their nose right up on the on the the steering wheel and you see white knuckles right here you know what I'm talking about you know that person sometimes it might be me that's holding fast i am not going to let go and that's what this refers to holding fast to the confession of our hope something we we've, we've got such a tight grasp on we can't let it go we stir up one another toward love and good works we meet together and we encourage one another these are the starting points. Okay, this doesn't talk about elements of worship, which we'll, we'll talk some about some of those in a minute. This is talking about each one of us. Anytime we come to a group together to worship, this is where we are. We have the clear conscience. We draw near, clean hearts, washed bodies, holding fast, stirring, stirring each other up meeting together, and encouraging one another. So with that in mind, with that as your heart, with that as your foundation, as we come together as a body of believers, what do we do next? So there are various scriptures where we, where we look and see various aspects that we're asked to do when we come together as a body of Christians. And here's the short list. We're going to go through some of these scriptures in the time we have remaining tonight. And look and see what, again, at a very high level, very quick pace level through what these are. First of all, in spirit and truth, we're talking about praying and singing. Uh, the first meeting on the first day of the week, the Lord's Supper, uh, contributions monetarily, singing and making melody. Uh, the word of the Lord and the power of the word in us. Prayer and then uh, instructions to women. So we'll touch briefly on all of these and... Uh, in the, in the last 15 or 20 minutes that we have. So first of all, in spirit and in truth, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Remember the context here in John chapter 4 is the woman at the well, right? 
Where are we supposed to worship? You tell us we have to be in Jerusalem. We, you know, we're, our folks tell us we're supposed to work here or worship here on this mountain. And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, but also in truth. There's a two-pronged component of, of our worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 uh, says, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. We, well, we all know what public prayer is. Someone standing typically up here praying and leading us. Um, there, there's more to, than, to prayer than just having someone up here. Uh, but it is a very key part of what we do. The conversation that we have with God through prayer, again, we can have full studies on prayer another time, but the, the conversations we have with God through in our time of worship together is a blending of our minds to lift our prayer to God. Now, I, I, hope, I hope you all know and understand that the only prayer going up isn't the one by the person up here. Have you ever caught yourself in the middle of a prayer with your own thoughts of prayer at the same time that someone is up leading? I think it's perfectly normal. I think it's perfectly natural. I think it's okay that we all pray together, even though sometimes our prayers may be a little different. We may have different uh, purposes and different needs personally. As a group, there's also things that we pray for, and that's what uh, this, the person who leads from the front normally would do. But it's with our spirit and with our mind. It's not just an intellectual activity. There's a couple of places in Scripture where it talks about the first day of the week. Uh, Revelation actually talks about being the Lord's day, which historically, um, if you read other, other writings, the early Christians referred to the Lord's day to being the first day of the week as well. So I uh, believe that that's what the reference would be in Revelation. Um, Chapter one, chapter, chapter one, chapter three. can't remember. Um, but here on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked to them and intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. This has always been an interesting scripture to me. Um, it, it almost sounds like it was the next, on the first day of the week, uh, day of the week, when we were gathered together. It's not we decided to all of a sudden. It's, it just sounds like this is what they did on the first day of the week. They gathered together to break bread, to meet together, to, to encourage each other. You can, anytime we're talking about a meal, whether it's the Lord's Supper or even a full meal, we're, we're talking about people being able to share and open up to each other. And then, of course, Paul spoke to them uh, and preached. And no, I won't be going to midnight tonight. I won't be. Okay, the Lord's Supper. This is actually taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, beginning of verse 20, and then it jumps down to 23. When you come together. Okay, now, in this context, I'm thinking this is in terms also when we talk about we come together on the first day of the week. 
when you come together is talking about that same time. It says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks about discern, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why so many are weak and ill and some have died. <coughs> the the uh, the instruction here uh, uh, to the Corinthian church by Paul is when you do come together to partake of the Lord's Supper, and it goes back and reminds them of the history of Jesus when he actually had the apostles together with him in the night of his betrayal, the night of his resurrection, or excuse me, the night of his crucifixion in that last supper. And he goes through that and, and, and reminds them of that. And, uh, but he puts this in the context of do this whenever you come together. So it seems, it seems pretty obvious that this is something we need to be doing on the first day of the week when we do come together. Again, this is, this is a lesson that, that uh, Wes had brought to us recently on a Sunday morning as well. Uh, monetary contribution to the work of the church. Um, there's, there's actually several scriptures that, that reference this. There's a lot, of, a lot of history, a lot of scripture from the Old Testament, several places in scripture in the Old Testament where it talks about giving and, and, and on specific occasions giving. Um, this, is, this is one of those, uh, 1 Corinthians, again, Paul's continuing to talk to the church in Corinth when he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of, the week, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so there will be no collection when I come. So weekly, when you meet on the first day of the week, again, set, set aside for the collection so that the Lord's work and the, the saints can be taken care of. Now, he goes on, uh, Timothy, in writing to Timothy, adds a little bit more to this. We talked about, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. And this is, I added this just to, as a reminder um, this isn't just about taking care of, of some of the physical things that we have around here, the building and things of that nature. This is about laying in store, understanding what's, what the priorities are in our own lives and understanding that the things that we do have really are to be given and, and shared with others um, because that's where the, our treasure ultimately resides.
This section, obviously, those of you who know me know this is the section that I like a lot because I like singing, but very, very specific in how we worship here at, at McDermott Road. There's a lot, of, um, a lot of changes going on in various places, but this eldership and this congregation is very solid and committed to what we do as far as singing is concerned. Um, and that is that, that our intention is to, to have a cappella singing and as because we believe that's what we're commanded to do here. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, first of all, filled with the Spirit. And on that filling, address one another, making melody to the Lord in your heart, always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very specific about singing. And it's also very specific about its purpose. Singing isn't, um, as much as I love it, it's not for four-part harmony. I love four-part harmony. That's not what it's about. But it is about making melody in your heart. It is about encouraging each other. It is about making sure that the people you're, you're sitting next to and along with, you are singing not only to praise our God and our Father, but it's also to sing to each other because it's encouragement. There's something about, and I'm not a psychologist, but there's something about music that hits inside people, even um, people who, I hear this a lot where people say, I love to be a part of it, I just don't sing very well, or I can't sing is usually the phrase I hear, which I don't believe for a minute because we can all sing. We may not carry the same tune, but we can all sing. And the singing together, there's something innate about how God has made us to where that actually touches a part of us that is probably difficult. I think it's difficult to get to in some other ways. And I think that's why it's important for us to sing, because we actually, we actually are enriching our own lives by singing to each other. And we're being enriched by others because there is that something innate inside of us that is touched by music in general. Um, have you ever watched TikTok videos and things like that? You'll see it's true in other places as well. Music is very moving in many ways, not just here. Another reason why we would want to be careful of the kinds of things that we sing sometimes. But it's very important for us to sing. 1 Corinthians 14 says, I will pray. Also, we read that a while ago. Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are jailed and thrown in prison, we always talk about the fact that, that they were singing in the prison. But if you go back and look in verse somewhere around 26 or so, the one thing that's interesting about that is it says the prisoners were listening to them. It wasn't that Paul and Silas were just minding their own business and just singing and nobody was paying attention. The others in the prison were listening to them. Uh, one of the things that we do here at McDermott, especially on Sunday morning, is we try to make sure that the songs that we sing are also true to what the Bible teaches and can not only from a singing standpoint, encourage us, but can also help train us and nurture us and educate us as well. Um, which, by the way, is not always easy. If you've seen some 
There's some songs that we probably would never sing, we should never sing. But um, there is an educational part of this. It, it's evident from Paul and Silas. They were, do, I believe they were doing some of their teaching while they were locked in stocks in the bottom of that prison. Colossians chapter 3 says to admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then James chapter 5 says, are you happy? Are you cheerful? Sing a song. And so these are all um, instructions to us to gather together and to use the, the medium of, so of singing and music to encourage and lift each other up. Um, let the word of Christ dwell, richly dwell in you. In Colossians chapter 3, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Now, this is interesting because we usually talk about this strictly in the terms of, of for example, uh, whoever's speaking, Wes, or whoever's preaching, that person is the one who's bringing a message. But it's pretty clear to me in this scripture, it says not only, I think that's a part of it, but it's also the fact that the scripture lives within us. So it's not something that we hear and move on. It's something that comes inside us and it stays within us and dwells in us. And it's a part of who we are when we come in to worship because his word is dwelling in us. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to the Father through him. And we read Acts 20, verse 7 a while ago, uh, where they met on the first day of the week, and Paul actually spoke a long time until midnight. And we know the story there. But um, So the, the, being enriched by the Word, being taught the Word, but also having the Word live in us as we worship is a real part of what we do when we come together and should be uh, a part of who we are and what we do when we come together. And then prayer. I think prayer is a, a pivotal part of not only our relationship in one-on-one -on -one to God, but it's also, I think it's pivotal in our relationship with each other, that we can sit and pray together. It's much like, like singing, praying with someone, including with a large group, that group. It somehow innately brings us closer together, I'm, I'm convinced. I think a large part of that is because it's a very humbling experience when you go to God, not only to praise Him, but also to ask Him, to confess to Him, to, to, pray, to you know, use it as a time of encouragement to others, to, to help others to, to be able to share their lives, not only with you, but with God. And so uh, it, I believe it's a very powerful part of what we do so, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 1. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. There's a whole lot in that scripture that we can probably, we need to stop and look at that we don't have time to do tonight. But let's focus on a couple of things. Number one, prayer, there are various types of prayers that we would have. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, 
thanksgivings, all of those kinds of things are, are components of, of us communicating directly with each other. But it's interesting, he goes on and says, um, we need to make these for everyone. Not only for the brotherhood, for the people you know in this room and the people that aren't here with us tonight that you know are struggling or, or whatever situation they're in, but for all people. And we should be praying for those in high positions. But we also should be praying in such a way to where our lives can be peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified. It's a very humbling scripture. Um, one that would do me well to spend some time contemplating more than I do today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what am I to do? I pray, we read this earlier. I pray with my spirit. I also I will pray with my mind also. And he goes and, and mentions the same about singing. Prayer is an intellectual exercise. It's also a very emotional and very spiritual exercise, um, which is why it's so important. Um, and as it, in as we talk about, you know, we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail on roles and such, uh, but First Timothy chapter 2 gives us a little bit of a, of a blueprint on the structure that, he, that God has in mind when we talk about coming together in worship. Uh, when he says, Likewise, also women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold and pearls of costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. And the focus, I believe, here is, is largely there is a couple of components. One is, and by the way, we've just talked about men in verse 7 and 8, right above this as well, in what they are to do. Um, but specifically here, focusing on Things that are important, that are that are within, that are within the heart, and not on the outward appearance. Uh, but he is very specific here about uh, the man being the one who is to exercise authority in the time of worship. And so, wrapping up, couple of just a closing couple of closing remarks we have talked about several things let me flip back to that slide and, and here and just very quickly if I can very quickly go over that list here we go remembering the starting point first of all, okay the beginning God has always desired his children's obedience and worship all the way back to Cain and Abel and his sons when they brought uh, sacrifices and then through direct um, instruction, we know Abraham brought his sacrifice to Melchizedek, honoring God and giving him glory, but also in all of the, the uh, instructions on, on building the tabernacle and the temple, the instructions to the Levites on what their jobs were. They all had very specific roles in the worship and how the people were supposed to uh, come to, together at various times during the year to worship. God, that's always been a part of his plan. Uh, the acceptable Christian worship is defined and described in the New Testament scripture. Again, the starting point, and this is, to me, this is one of the key parts of this whole topic of worship. We have a tendency to think of worship as a block of time. 
And I think worship is more a state of mind and a state of activity, which is why we start with, with this starting point of being confident because of the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ to enter the holy place, to enter the, 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 the I would say this place, not necessarily the building, but as a church, when we come together, we have a chance to kneel at God's feet, to draw near with true assurance of faith, with clean hearts, bodies washed, holding fast to our hope, stirring up one another, meeting together. The intention is for us to be together, not alone, and encouraging one another. And at the end of the day, we're striving for this congregational worship to be characterized by reverence, praise, and remembrance. That's what all these things tie up into. It's a time that we are, it's not intended to be an improv or a comedy club. It is intended to be reverent. It is intended to give us a chance to honor, to kneel before, to praise, to glorify, to lift the name of God as an individual and as a group. And to remember through the Lord's Supper, through times that we, we are able to pray uh, together, those kinds of confession moments where we have a chance to, to speak to one another in various ways in times of remembrance. And at the bottom of these, in everything that we do, these things are to be done in both spirit and in truth. So, certainly, this, again, this has been a whirlwind going through all through this, and we can spend a whole lot more time. If you have more questions or or if you'd like to get into some more details on this, certainly uh, talk to myself or one of the elders. We can certainly uh, have those conversations with you. But we'll close tonight with a word of prayer, and uh, that'll be the, it'll be yours. Dear God and Father, thank you for, for your kindness. We thank you for your compassion. Father, we thank you for sharing with us what you want from us. One of those things being the fact that we are to kneel before you, that we are to honor you, that we are to serve you and bless you and praise you. All of these things tie up and into this term worship, Father. And we understand it's not just when we meet here together, but you're very specific about us meeting together as a group to encourage each other, to praise you together, to glorify your name, so that we see each other doing that and strengthening each other, but also those around us who may not be a part of your community of faith can also see that you are worthy of our honor and worthy of our praise. Father, we thank you for giving us that guidance. I pray, Father, that we will continue to, to stay in your word, to study it and learn it, understand it, know what you want us to do when we come together to worship, but also know how you want us to live within this body of believers and in this world that we, that we live in. Father, help us to not bend to the culture or the times that we live in, but to bend our, our lives and our will to your will so that you may, be, may transform us into, into the beings you want us to be so that one day we will have a home with you in heaven. We pray these things through your son, Jesus. Amen.